Good morning, everybody. We are continuing in our series uh, talking about our vision. Gather, grow, give and go. We went through gather the last two weeks. We are on the grow portion. Uh, I know some of you are like, why are you hammering this so much? Because it is our vision. And I really want to reinforce it this fall. I think it's important. I obviously feel strongly enough to say that it's a vision that I believe God gave us for our church. So I don't want to just think that 30 minutes on a Sunday afternoon is enough to communicate it. I want to be able to reinforce it, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us to be reinforcing it. And I do believe it's going to flesh out some good messages, so uh, hopefully we'll have that. Let's go ahead. If you have a Bible, open up your Bible to John. Uh, John. <laughs> John is my favorite book. It just rolls off my tongue. Acts, Acts chapter 4. And uh, we'll go ahead and op- open up with a word of prayer. Let God open up our hearts. Heavenly Father, as we open up to your word this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Even if it's just that one thing, God. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a very tall friend. Uh, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> All your friends are tall to you. <laughs> yeah, compared to you, you know, <laughs> your whole friendship group is tall. But I mean, I mean a, a over, an over six-footer, which I know some of you qualify for that too, but I, you're not the one I'm thinking of in this story. Uh, and, and when you're short like me, the life that a tall person lives is fascinating because it's quite different than one who's shorter. Yes, it is. So I remember asking my tall friend, who's over six feet tall, I, I remember I was just really curious one day, I said, what was it like growing? Okay? That's not an experience I can really give you a first-hand account on. <laughs> I was five foot six, 185 pounds in the summer between 7th and 8th grade, and I haven't, I haven't budged an inch. Well, maybe plus 20 pounds. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> you know, I stopped growing so soon in life, and I just watched everybody keep going, 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 going. I always wondered, what is that like? And so... I asked him, what was it like growing all the time? And he looked at me and said, I never felt growth day by day. I never felt it. It's not like you feel it. I'm like, oh, but what about those guys who are rubbing their knees and all that? Yeah, I mean, you're rubbing your knees. But you don't feel your bones stretching, you know, your, your skin stretching. He said, I never felt the growth day by day. It was never something I felt during the moment always something you'd look back on and kind of see clearly as you know how moms have that little mark on the wall you know as you're growing he said i would just see my mom's mark growing higher and higher and higher and higher he said that it was often other people who noticed his growth far more than him he would see an ant that he hadn't seen in months and all of a sudden that ant would go wow, you've grown. And then he would notice, wow, I have grown. I'm looking down even more at Aunt Susie, you know? So, I mean, he said, it would always be something that I didn't feel it in the moment. But looking back, I noticed it. And others noticed it too. Physical growth, spiritual growth, can be a lot like physical growth. It's not always something that you experience or feel in the moment but when you look back after you've kept your disciplines up and you look back you'll see that you've grown that there's been growth that's happened and it's kind of neat when that happens it's kind of neat when other people look at you and tell you 
that you've grown spiritually. By the time that the apostles, Peter and John, Peter and John were Jesus' BFFs, right? Peter and John are where Jesus took when he did the big miracles, the raising people from the dead kind of miracles. You know, Peter and John were Jesus' BFFs, and they kind of are prominent in the very first part of the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. So, it, by the time that Peter and John come to Acts chapter 4, a lot of time has passed since their big sin, their, their big abandonment. And that was when they abandoned Jesus during his trial and abandoned him during the cross. A case could be made that John didn't because John was there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary. But all of the apostles knew that at the moment of Jesus' arrest, when they all booked while they were taking him away, that that was a bit of a betrayal of their friendship. Jesus was abandoned to the cross, and they initially doubted the reports of the women when they came back and said that Jesus had been resurrected. A few days later, they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and on that day, 3,000 more people. Remember, there had been about somewhere between three to 500 followers of Jesus at that point. The day of Pentecost, the church grows tenfold. There's now 3,000 people who believe their message. And, <coughs> excuse me, as they were continuing to start, a, start sort of birth the early church, they did an amazing thing that was seen by everybody. They're walking up to the big Jewish temple and there's a man there who is crippled. And in the name of Jesus, they heal this man who was crippled. This healing gathers a huge crowd, and they began to teach and preach in Jesus as the resurrected Savior of the Jewish people. This gets them in trouble. They are arrested by the temple guards and they are brought before the very same people, same leaders, who crucified Jesus. Now the question for Peter and John is this. The last time that somebody was arrested for the Christian faith was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. That's the last time somebody was arrested for the Christian faith. Now we've got our first arrest. How would Peter and John react? Would they be bold and speak the truth, or would they back in and give in to fear and be cowards and render the church impotent? If you go to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it speaks of the very first interaction, not, not Jesus, but the church's interaction with opposition on earth. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that gives you a clue where this is going, and it should be up here, yeah. And they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say to the opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them. A healing is a pretty notable sign when you say that. And it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
That is one of the best, when, when you can do something in the name of Jesus, and no, it, nobody can deny it. It can't be denied. You're in a great spot. He's, they said, but in order that it may spread no further among the people. Listen to this illogical thought here. They have the power to heal people, but we want to snuff that out. Why? Because it wasn't them doing the healing. It was these uneducated men that were following the men they crucified. Notice they're not thinking about the man who was healed or this power that had been given to the apostles. They are thinking about themselves. Well, they aren't following us. They aren't into our teaching. They're not doing what we say. They're not following our program. They're not into the way we see things. Be, it, be careful. We can all get into that. We can all get into that very easy. So that's why they say it. That's why they say it. So we can't have this spread, so we're going to warn them, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and essentially said, who do you think it's more right to obey, you or God? Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? Because the people were praising God for what had happened. They weren't going to go against the people as long as the people were praising God for what had happened. And they saw a genuine miracle happen. I want to unpack verse 13. Verse 13, in fact, if you could go back up to verse 13, Vicki, yeah. It's the hallmark of all Christian growth. All growth needs to have this. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is the key to all Christian growth. Nothing more, nothing less. Have you been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? They had been with Jesus. They recognized. Wow. They're a lot different. Oh, yeah. They've been with Jesus. Hopefully that's what can be said of us. Wow, they're a lot different. They've been with Jesus. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They called them uneducated and common men. Let me tell you this, that was not a compliment. They weren't impressed with their resume. They didn't belong to the petroleum club. They didn't come from rich or intellectual families. And yet these uneducated laborers were living a life and experiencing the miraculous in ways that none of these five PhD men were experiencing. They grew from cowards who ran from trouble to men filled with spirit-filled boldness. And the Jewish leaders were asking, how, how in the world were we bested by common laborers? We should be the ones doing miracles. We're the ones that know everything there is to know about God, right? This was their struggle. How had they been bested by common laborers? If you flip over your discussion sheet, point number one. If I only had one point to drive home this morning, we could stop at point number one. And, and you could ask yourself over and over and over, what does it mean to be with Jesus? What does it mean for my life? What does it mean for my schedule? What does it mean for my day timer? What does it mean for my heart? 
What does it mean when I blow it and I sin big? What does it mean when I do it? What does it mean to be with Jesus? They had been with Jesus. Now the interesting thing is, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people who be with Jesus every day, man, they're so holy. They're so nice. They're so loving. They've got everything together. The devil doesn't touch them as much as he goes after me. I mean, they're just those holier-than-thou people who are probably older and have figured life out, but that is not me yet. I can tell you this right now. Take that, crumple it, and flush it down the toilet. Some of the people who I have admired the most, people who I would say they've been with Jesus, are people who were filled with struggles, struggled with alcoholism, struggle with addiction, struggle with pride. I'll give you an example. Four years ago, I buried one of my best friends. I only knew him for about four years. His name was Wayne Gibson. Everybody here who knew him, you know what we would say? He was a man who had been with Jesus. When he prayed for you, when he preached up here, was Wayne perfect? No. All of us know since 1968 or 9 when he came home from Vietnam to the day of his death, he struggled with massive PTSD from the Vietnam War. He was not perfect. He was anything from perfect. He gave his testimony here about how he struggled with drug addiction and struggled with a whole bunch of things. Big, big struggles. But he was a man who'd been with Jesus. So you don't have to, I'm not talking about the perfect few who can attain by some sort of miraculous discipline and be with Jesus. This is for all of us, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're struggling with. People can recognize when you've been with Jesus. Some of the people who have impressed me the most are people who struggle with something over and over and over. And over and over and over they take it to Jesus and weep in his presence. I don't know about you and me, but I, sometimes I just get sick of that. Okay, I give up. But they don't. Why? Because they've been with Jesus. I have two degrees. Uh, one, a graduate degree in biblical theology. If I can tell you this right now. And I would trade nothing for those degrees. But nothing in those degrees, for me, compares to having time with Jesus. I get an email probably once a month from the seminary I went to and from USC. They must talk about ha joining a PhD program. And one time I wanted to write a reply that said, you know what, I don't want to spend the next four years of my life reading about Jesus. I'd rather just spend time with him. I never sent it. But you can kind of hear the, you know, I love the degrees I had, but there was a, the, one of the prices I had to pay was I just had less time to be with Jesus. One thing that I have often learned is you can be around Jesus and not with him. I find this in people who have been Christian for years. They've been around Jesus. They know the shtick. They get the gospel. They're settled into their fate. And they're just kind of, it's kind of a life of being around Jesus. And all of you out there, you know who I'm talking about. You even know if it's you. And I think right now the Holy Spirit's talking to your heart. There's a difference in being around Jesus 
as opposed to being with Jesus. I can be around him. I know the Bible. I, I, I can pray quick prayers on my way to work. I can, I, 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 can, I can toss up like the best of them. Scripted prayers, pious fronts, expound on my theological knowledge, which believe it or not, I'm realizing the older I get, the less I have. What's different about being with Jesus? It's knowing and experience of God in a depth of your heart. It's more than just knowledge. It's like being with a friend who makes you feel better, who instructs you, and who heals you just by being in their presence. Even their enemies, even their enemies could tell the difference that Christ had made. How pansy Peter became Peter the Rock. When Christ commandeers a life, the change will be evident to all. In the magazine I saw, it was years ago, it was actually like in the 90s when I think I had a subscription to Newsweek or something like that, you know, or the church did or something. It was, in, it was just hanging around. And I remember the title was, You Are Who You Hang Around, right? This next slide, I don't think this was it, but you can see these. I just copied and pasted these off Pinterest. But anyway, uh, you know, you, you kind of get this sense of the title was, You Are Who You Hang Around. And it was most notable that in studies, your friendship group and your peer group is one of the biggest influences on your life. It's the same with Jesus. When we choose to hang around him, we become who we hang around. People begin to say, man, they've been with Jesus. They've been hanging around Jesus because people can tell a lot about you by the friends that we hang around. Make Jesus one of those friends that you hang around. Number two, they faced a crisis. All Christian growth is going to have an element of crisis. It is unavoidable. It's one of the things I heard in the, in the prayer room this morning. You cannot leave earth, earth without facing a crisis in one way or another. Now, this is the first crisis that the church had ever faced. Okay? Now, it's kind of been well said that crisis never made any man, but revealed who the man already was. Actually, I think that's a load of baloney. I think a crisis can spur you to great growth in and during the crisis. I notice I grow more during the testing process, and I can tend to get lazy and coast when I'm not being tested. So up to this point, the apostles had been ridiculed, remember? They all thought that they were drunk. You know, they, they were being ridiculed for being alcoholics, but they had never been intimidated. It's a little bit different when you have someone who has the power to execute you looking you dead in the eye and say, don't preach in this name. And it's a little different when you've got to look them square in the eye and say, I must obey God rather than you. That's a test. And when they left that courtroom and they went back to the church, you know what happened? boldness began to pour out of them into everybody who had gathered in a church. Why? Because Peter and John had been with Jesus. It produced a boldness in a crisis. And when they came back to the church, the boldness that they faced in that crisis began to rub off on everybody else who was there. They faced a crisis. And that was the big question. Would they run like they did last time? Or would they take their stand? Now, 
in many ways, I think we have been through a dress rehearsal of a major crisis, right? We've had a year and a half of, of the pandemic, and the, and the pandemic was so much about more than the virus and COVID-19, medical, political, social, economic. I mean, there are there has been so much upheaval over the last 18 months. And I know for many of us, we're thinking, man, I hope this is over. I'm glad it's over. If we got to endure a little bit of inflation, fine, but let's just get this over so we can get back nice back into the comfort zones of life. But I submit to you this. What if COVID-19 was just a dress rehearsal? Many of you know I've, I've really radically changed my position. I no longer think the final act of earth is centuries away. I think it's an imminency to the time period that we're living in. And what if this was all a dress rehearsal? Did we gather and gain boldness from this crisis? Or did we gain more fear? Because the last thing God needs the church to be in the final act of earth is a church that is so filled with fear, it becomes powerless to scoop, like, like, what was it? The Titanic, right? You know, they're in lifeboats. The stern of the ship is way in the air. It's dawning on everybody. The ship is going to sink, and these lifeboats are all we got. We're all in those lifeboats. We've got to start yanking people out of the water because we're in the dress rehearsal for the kind of crisis that is going to come right before the final act. So I challenge us, have we grown the religious leaders, they couldn't figure them out. They're saying, why are these guys not intimidated? What was their secret? And again, they came to the same conclusion. They'd been with Jesus. What will you do when you lose your job, when your son is in jail, when your marriage collapses, when the church splits, when the cancer returns, when your best friend betrays you? Hopefully, you've been with Jesus. But if you haven't, get with him right away. Get with him right away. You may say, well, how? How, how can I be with Jesus? Everybody you hear right now, you're with Jesus. All of you who made the decision to get dressed, come to church, you're with Jesus. The Bible says, whenever the church gathers in my name, I am there among them. Two or more, I am there among them. Jesus is with you right now. Come, just come faithfully. I know not every Sunday the Red Sea is going to part for you. Maybe not. Or maybe it does. But I can tell you this. Commit for a year and, uh, to come in as much every time you can. And after that year, I promise you this, you will look back and you will see growth. You've been with Jesus. You'll be more bold and you'll be more powerful. Read your Bible. I know some of you don't like to read. They have apps now that you can download and it reads it for you you can listen to it that's what i did when i was hiking last fall last spring i was hiking and i can't walk and read i used to be able to without hitting anybody in the hall i can't do it anymore it's like i need private gender something i can't do it so so i now though i can listen to it and hike it's beautiful I took out the whole gospel of luke that way uh, pray, obviously, prayer in the morning, listening to worship music, reading devotionals. There are more devotionals now than I have ever seen in the history of humanity. Uh, thousands of devotionals, podcasts. There is no excuse for not getting a regular Christian thought 
into us. Serve on a ministry team. Join a life group. Go on a mission trip. But most of all, get real and honest with God every day and walk away with his peace. Point number three. They had ordinary obedience. Some of you have told me stories of extraordinary obedience, you know. Your boss was kind of like, either hang with us and do these immoral things or these illegal things or get fired. And some of you have said, man, Tom, I had the Holy Spirit within me in that moment and I just chose to get fired. That's great. But those won't always happen. It's actually the ordinary obedience that God needs even more. Here's the thing. Peter and John stood before a panel of judges. They asked a simple question, and Peter and John gave a simple answer. And their simple answer was this. You crucified Jesus, and God raised him from the dead. What else do you want to know? It was just ordinary obedience. I remember when I was younger, I worked for Starbucks in Seattle when I lived there. And Starbucks is a... I don't know, I shouldn't say this about the company, but the Starbucks cafe I worked in there was very uh, pagan. Uh, their New Age. They talk about all of their spiritualities and their religions. That's how I know Halloween is one of their high days because they tell me what they do on Halloween. And, and I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. The whole store had some sort of New Age religion that they were a part of. So I'll be honest with you, I just kind of kept my mouth shut. <laughs> I figured, man, you know, I, I am on the slaughtering house here. So I, I just, I'm like, I'm here to work. I'm here to make money. I'm not here to make friends. So I just put my head down and I worked. But then they had a Christmas party. Go figure. And at the Christmas party, they're all talking about all the little things that they believe in, da da da, da And the tree hugger was truly amusing. Uh, you'll have to really, if you ever meet a true tree hugger, you got to ask what they believe. And so anyway, I, I'm just sitting there trying to have a good time. And finally, one of the associate managers says, you know, Tom, you're always quiet about this. What do you believe in? You know what I said? Very simple answer. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't ask me again. <laughs> simple question, simple answer. You know what I'm saying? Ordinary obedience. And then finally, number four, they had been with Jesus in church. Of all the ways to be with Jesus, this is one of the most powerful ones, if not the most powerful one. That's why we have it. That's why I ask you to donate to it. That's why I ask you to donate the 10% of your kingdom to it. Because something happens here that happens nowhere else. When you are at any church function, you are with Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43, which will be on the next slide here, this is an important, important verse for why we have church. Can we go to the next slide real quick? Read this with me. And, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul... And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. What's the Bible saying here? We are to rub off on each other. And what do we rub off? Jesus. What does it look like? 
I don't want to give you a script as to what it's supposed to look like because then you'll be looking only for that. I would limit you if I told you what it looked like. But I can tell you what it feels like. Awe and wonder. That's what the Bible says. Awe and wonder. Power and presence. I want to close with a story. There was an agricultural engineer who was hired by a farmer. There was a farmer who had built a house and he grew corn. Corn grows about seven or eight feet on average. You know, you, when you, grow, you know, walk through it, it's seven or eight feet. But he had built a house and he wanted to see the sunset. So he hired an agricultural engineer to grow corn at five feet for this one section so he could see the sunset. All the other sections were taller, but even five feet. The agricultural engineer said, no problem. We can manipulate the seeds. We, we make dwarf orange trees, right? We make dwarf this and that. He says, we can do it. And so the guy, you know, says, but you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to get some fertilizer. We've got to get really good soil. You know, we've got to do all this because we're manipulating something. So you've got to get the best of the best. Best soil, best fertilizer, best facing of the sun and all that, you know. And so they, he had these conditions. Finally, after he planted it and the crop grew, the crop was more like 9 to 10 feet tall. And so the farmer calls the agriculture engineer and he's totally upset. The agriculture engineer is looking at the crop going, wow, Mr. Farmer, you are going to sell probably 30% more corn with this than you would have with the others. I mean, the agricultural engineer is going, this is great, you're really going to profit. But the farmer's yelling at him because it grew 9 to 10 feet. And the agriculture engineer looked at him and said, look, look, when you've got good soil and the right fertilizer, I can't tell this plant how big it can grow and how big it can't. This plant's only supposed to grow 5 feet. But with the right conditions, it kept growing and growing and growing well beyond what it thought its potential to be was. That's the same with us. The right soil, the right fertilizer, and direct sunlight. Metaphorically speaking, obviously, we will grow and grow and grow and grow to become all that God has called us to be. Filled with His joy, overflowing with peace. I don't know about you, but that's the life I want to live. Filled with joy and overflowing with peace, no matter what the crisis is. Amen? Before we leave today, I'd like all of us to just do what we talked about. Spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time with Jesus. Just in the quietness of your heart. Be brutally honest right now. Some of you may, in your brutal honesty, say something like this, God been a long time that, since we've talked been a long time since we've connected I'm hurting I'm struggling I'm into drugs I drink too much I got a pornographic mind a prideful heart and I criticize everybody who's not like me go ahead and say it and then give that to Jesus and gain strength from the sharing and you'll walk out of here as someone who has been with Jesus. You know, whenever you've been with Jesus, 
there's a humility that ultimately comes over us. A peace and a joy. A sense of, oh yeah, God really does got this. I really can put my life in His hands. I really can trust Jesus. Yeah, that's right. I can do that. And then when the day of crisis comes, and I I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future exactly. I can just tell you the future is going to have crisis. Let's face it as people who have been with Jesus with bold confidence rather than debilitating fear. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, that's what I ask for in my life. Bold confidence in Christ rather than debilitating fear. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.